Hey guys, welcome back to Keeping It OD Podcast and happy Monday. I hope you had a great weekend and a great start to your week so far. Um, so we're back again with another admissions interview episode. And today, by popular demand, I have Emily, the assistant director of admissions at NECO. Um, Emily is going to go over some admissions-related questions, and she's going to go over program specifics while also answering some of the questions that you guys sent in. Um, so if you're interested to know a little bit about NECO, this episode is for you. Emily, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. It's a pleasure to, pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to uh, talk a little bit more about NECO and our programs. Awesome. So um, for all the new listeners here, we split our episodes into three different segments. So the first set of questions are going to be the admission-related questions, and the second set of questions are going to be program-related questions. And then we dedicate the last um, about 10 or 15 minutes to listener questions that they send in on Instagram. So we're going to get started with admission-related questions. And our first question is just an overarching question, and it is, what are you looking for in an applicant that's grade-wise involved? experience, etc. Awesome. Yeah, great first question to start off with. Um, you know, I think that question, uh, there's a lot of different parts to the answer, but the way that I really like to split it is, you know, there's definitely quantitative and qualitative factors that we look for in applicants. Um, of course, on the quantitative side, there's GPA, standardized test score. Um, as far as that goes, we don't have a hard cutoff as far as GPA goes. Um, competitively, we see on average about a 3.4. Um, we really recommend anything in the 3.0 range. And, you know, that's not to say that if the GPA is a little bit lower than that, we won't take other factors into consideration. Uh, we absolutely will. Um, as far as standardized test goes at NECO, we do accept both uh, the OAT and the GRE standardized test. Um, OAT is something we've always accepted. GRE, that is something that's a little bit newer, um, but we have accepted it over the past two years. Um, we've had students successfully take the GRE, um, become accepted to NECO. Um, we get asked a lot, you know, is there uh, preference one over the other? The answer to that question is no. Um, the best, you know, exam that you feel will highlight you as an applicant. Um, as far as the OAT goes, on average, we see a score of about a 320. We recommend a subscore of 300 or above in each of those sections. Um, as far as the GRE goes, we're looking for results in the 50th percentile or higher. Um, typically what that looks like is around a score of a 154 in the verbal and quantitative sections, and then a score of a four or higher um, in the writing section. So that's a little bit on the quantitative side, of course. Um, and then on the qualitative side, we do take a holistic approach to reviewing the application. So of course we're looking for, you know, involvement, shadowing. We recommend a minimum of 20 hours of shadowing with an OD, um, you know, really ex any experience there um, just to kind of confirm your passion for the field of optometry and just have a little bit of, you know, job experience, job shadowing. Um, we do require two letters of recommendation, one of those being from an OD. So that's usually where the shadowing or work experience comes into play. Um, and a lot of times we get asked too, if I have experience outside of the field of optometry, should I include that? Um, and the answer to that is absolutely. Uh, we love to see you know, a well-rounded applicant and 
you know, whether you've shadowed other medical professions or, you know, you've worked uh, at Starbucks as a barista, all of that is very valid work experience. Uh, we highly encourage that um, in the application. So I think that's kind of the brief overview there of, uh, you know, generally what we're looking for in an applicant and really, you know, overall someone who's just really passionate about optometry. Sounds great. Um, so you did mention that you do accept not one, but two um, standardized tests. So could you still get invited to interview um, without taking those tests or if you've scored below the prefer like the preferred range um, for NECO? Yeah, typically, you know, we do require those test scores to have come through um, in order to move on to the interview um, phase of the application process. Um, so even if you send in scores, maybe they're a bit below um, what we're looking for, you know, we're a small place and we really pride ourselves in communicating with our applicants. So if the OAT or GRE is an area of concern, um, we can, you know, put the application on hold from there. Um, you know, if the applicant indicates that they're going to retake that test, we will keep the application aside, wait for those new scores to come in. Um, but we do uh, need a set of those scores in order to kind of move on to that interview phase of the process. Awesome. Um, the next question kind of goes along with the um, last question, and it is, can you get invited to interview with prerequisites still in process or planned for the following semester? Sure. Um, yeah, for that one, it's a little bit different. So um, upon first review of the application, we do look for a majority of the prerequisites uh, to be taken. Um, of course, there might still be some in process um, or some planned for, say, the spring or even summer. Um, we do allow applicants to continue finishing up prerequisites um, until they would matriculate at NECO. So if there was a summer course that was being taken and uh, you know the student was accepted and starting in September, they would have really through August to be able to complete those. Um, so at first, as long as a majority is there, we can absolutely go ahead with review, um, invite to interview, um, and then we do allow those uh, kind of remaining prerequisites to come in um, all the way up until they would start as a student if accepted. Awesome. So would you recommend that applicants still apply if they have prerequisites planned or the, an OAT or GRE um, date set? What should they still go ahead and go through with the application and just submit those later? Or would you prefer that they wait until they have scores to apply? Absolutely. Um, if they're still waiting for prerequisites, absolutely apply. Um, same goes for OAT or GRE. Um, it's always a great idea to begin the application process, get everything filled out that is ready to go um, so it could be as complete as possible. Um, if a standardized test score is missing, you can still go ahead, submit the application. Um, OptumCast does what we call a verification process where the transcripts are verified and that can sometimes take up to two weeks. Um, so especially if the applicant is still studying or waiting to take the standardized test, um, it's a good idea to go ahead and submit the application. Um, when we receive it after it's verified, if there are still some things that are missing, um, like standardized test, all we would do is put the application aside on a brief hold. Um, and then as soon as those scores are ready, 
for the OAT, those unofficial scores come in right after the exam is completed. Um, those can be sent right over to us in admissions. We can plug them into the file. And if it's already gone through the verification process, the beauty of that is we can kind of expedite the review process from there. Um, GRE scores tend to take a little bit longer, but as soon as you know any kind of official document is received, as far as that goes, again, we can begin that review process. So yeah, we absolutely recommend submitting the application. Even if a couple things are still missing, we'll keep an eye out. Um, you know, we'll be in communication with the applicant. So as soon as it does become complete, we can expedite the process from there. That's awesome. And I know that this cycle is um, just getting ready to launch in about 15 days. So this would be a great time to get all of your letters of recommendation experience and things in there so that when June 30th comes around, you can just submit your applications and just be, you know, ready to go. Right. It's a great time to prepare for that. And, you know, as far as early applications go, we get asked a lot to what's considered an early application, you know, with the rolling admissions process that we work on. Um, so, you know, realistically, if everything's ready, you can have your application submitted and, you know, we start interviewing in early August. Uh, but we really consider anything early submitted by the end of the first calendar year of the cycle. So really through December of 2021 in this case. Awesome. So we talked a lot about the application and what you could do to increase your chances of getting an interview to NECO. Um, so once you do get that invitation, um, how can you prepare for an interview day, whether that being virtual or in person? Sure. Um, interview is my interview day is my favorite topic to talk about. Um, it's definitely kind of my wheelhouse in the admissions office um, in my role. So I do a lot with the planning of interview day. Um, I kind of run our interview day process. So if you do go on to interview at NECO, either virtually or in person, you'll definitely be hearing from and seeing a lot more of me. Um, I think things to do in order to prepare for an interview, uh, first and foremost, is just research a little bit about the school and program. Um, what are your favorite things about that school that really made you want to apply, you know, particularly NECO? Um, and be prepared for those questions that you've probably answered time and time again. Uh, why optometry? Uh, what sparked your interest in this field? Why are you passionate about optometry? Um, and then NECO related, you know, why NECO? Why do you feel that we would be a good fit for you to, um, you know, pursue your education and kind of, you know, take it from there and run with it? Um, and I think interview day is a great time uh, for the applicant to kind of vet us out as well. Are we a good fit for you? Um, and then, you know, just be ready to talk about your file as well. Um, at NECO, the interview process is, um, again, either virtually or in person. You uh, interview for 45 minutes one-on-one -on -one with one of our faculty members. Um, I know that sounds a little bit intimidating, but our faculty are so excited to meet the future of optometry. Um, they really just want to get to know you as a person. You know, they'll have seen your file. Um, they'll mainly, you know, want to talk about you know, why you feel that NECO would be a great fit. They want to get to know you off paper as well. Um, so I think, you know, just being ready to answer all those questions. And I know nerves are always going to be there, but we really describe ourselves at NECO as a family, the faculty, you know, volunteer to do this interview process. And uh, they mainly want to get to know you more as a person. Awesome. So um, as of this upcoming cycle, are you going to be conducting interviews virtually or in person, or is it going to be a mixed bag both? 
Um, there'll definitely be a mixed bag um, at first and you know, throughout the cycle, we certainly will have that virtual option available. Um, we're in the process right now of kind of seeing what that looks like as far as uh, returning to that new normal um, and you know what an in-person interview will look like uh, versus how it looked in the past. Um, but to start, we'll probably have virtual um, and then you know build in those in-person days as we go along. Uh, but there definitely will be uh, opportunities for either. Awesome. And for the interviews at NECO, are they open or closed file? Um, it is an open file. Uh, the faculty interviewer will have seen uh, the applicant's file and reviewed it prior. So they may have some questions pertaining to the file, which are always good to prepare for. Um, but, you know, we do start our students out at NECO really early in the clinical side of things. So mainly what our faculty are looking for is you know, realistically, in a couple months, is this person ready to uh, go see patients? Are they, you know, ready to kind of start this process and uh, dive into optometry school? Awesome. Alrighty, so you've completed interview day and you thought you did great. What happens next? Because interview day can be so fun, but then you get the afterthoughts of, oh my gosh, did I just blow it? Did I do great? What do they think of me? So what is kind of the expectation after interview day? When can you expect feedback? Sure. Um, so we do interview throughout this entire rolling admissions process. Um, so you can have your interview day as early as late August or, you know, down the road in April of the following year. Um, so regardless of when that interview day takes place, we allow a maximum of about two weeks to get the decision back um, to the applicant. So at most, they would be waiting two weeks to receive their decision. Um, however, we do try to turn those decisions around as quickly as possible. Um, so there's many cases where, uh, you know, candidates would receive their decision prior to that two weeks. Um, if that's possible with our admissions committee and everything, um, we'll get it back as soon as we can, um, but a maximum of two weeks uh, to receive that decision back from us. Awesome. And would you still get feedback if you um, have been placed on a waiting list or um, denied or anything like that? Would you get still get feedback or do you only send feedback for accepted um, applicants? Absolutely. Yeah. So there are those three kind of possibilities after interview day. Um, of course, acceptance. Uh, we do have a wait list and then um, an applicant could be denied after interview day. Um, but again, you know, we are a very small office and we pride ourselves in being available to chat with students. So if there were any questions after interview day, um, regardless of the decision, we are open to having that conversation. And, you know, if an applicant wants to reapply in the future, um, you know, we'll be in touch with them to, you know, kind of start that process again. Um, and if a waitlist decision is uh, present, we'll discuss kind of what that looks like and um, when they can expect to be hearing back from us uh, with an updated decision. Great. Alrighty, so enough about admission related questions. We are getting ready to talk about the program at NECO. Um, so if you just want to start us off by giving us a brief overview of the OD curriculum at NECO, so um, the didactic curriculum and then when do students start seeing patients um, and any exciting things that NECO offers their OD students. Sure. Um, what I'll do is I'll kind of go through the four years in a nutshell. Um, starting out at NECO in the first year, um, it is uh, obviously pretty heavy on the didactic side. Students have a lot of those intro 
um, lectures and labs, really getting a foundation for the curriculum. Uh, but something that's a little bit unique about NECO is that um, we do start students off with clinical experience um, in the first year, sometimes as early as uh, the second week of classes. Um, I'll, I'll say this, of course, with COVID, you know, things did look a little bit different the past year or so. Um, it's our intention to get back to uh, as close to normal as we can. Um, but typically what that clinical kind of experience looks like for first year students um, is that we have a partnership with the Boston Public School System. And a couple times per semester, our first year students uh, go to those public schools with their preceptors and their fellow classmates. Um, and they perform what we call vision screenings on um, the students of those elementary schools. So it's kind of like preliminary eye exams. They're taking what they're learning in those first courses and they're you know, screening these children to see if they need to see an OD down the road. Um, it's a great way to kind of practice those skills, uh, get your feet wet in the patient care side of things. Um, but of course, not a ton of pressure. Kids are arguably the best first patients. They're not gonna know if you know there's a little mistake here or there. Probably hardest part will be getting them to sit still. Um, we start everyone off kind of on the same foot at NECO, regardless of how much work experience you've had in the field or shadowing experience. Um, starting out with these vision screenings, I think is a great way to introduce students to the patient care aspect of things and get everybody on the same foot. So definitely heavy in the uh, classes, labs in the first year uh, with a little bit of that patient care experience sprinkled in. Um, going into the second year, that's when students, um, you know, they're still pretty heavy on the classroom side of things, uh, taking lots of those, again, foundation courses, labs, um, and learning a lot of clinical skills. Uh, but in the first semester of the second year, that's when students are placed at their first clinic site. So a couple hours a week uh, seeing patients with uh, the attending doctors at these clinics and upper year NECO students as well. Um, and then they change sites in the second semester. So um, again, something a little bit unique about NECO is uh, we have what is called a decentralized clinic system. Uh, we partner with about 30 organizations throughout the city of Boston instead of having just one big NECO clinic with maybe 50 exam bays. Um, we have about 30 different sites uh, throughout Boston. So students are getting exposed to lots of different patient demographics, a really diverse kind of population of patients, um, which is great as well. So uh, students are you know, seeing patients in their second year. Uh, the way our curriculum is designed is that by the end of the second year, students are able to perform a full eye exam, uh, not necessarily that they would be in a situation where you know, they would have to do that every day, um, but they have the skills necessary in order to do that. So, you know, we really, uh, our students hit the ground running and our curriculum uh, definitely allows them to see patients really early, which is great. Um, going into the third year, the kind of didactic side of things starts to wean down a little bit, um, but still taking very important courses in the third year. Um, there's a pediatrics course, a mandatory business course to kind of look at the you know, other side of optometry and what owning your own practice would be like um, and seeing a lot more patients in the third year as well. So that clinical and patient care side is still ramping up, um, being at multiple sites and seeing a lot more patients. Um, and then students also have the opportunity to take specialty electives in their third year. So maybe if they're interested in pediatrics or low vision, that would be a time to really dive into that. 
Um, and it's all preparing students to go off on their fourth year to their rotations. Um, our students complete four three month long rotations. Um, I know we'll be talking a little bit more about that uh, in just a little bit. So I'll save uh, a little bit about, you know, what that process is like and the different sites that are available to our students for rotations. Uh, and then four years flies by and board exams come towards the end of that and uh, students graduate. <laughs> You made it sound so easy, um, but that is awesome that they get to start um, in clinic in their second year. Um, I know a lot of people wait until their third year, if I'm not mistaken. So here's a little added bonus there. Um, so do you offer any other degree options that students um, can get, earn while they're simultaneously um, getting their OD degrees? We do. Um, we do have some dual degree opportunities. Um, both of the ones that I'll mention are applied into once students are already in their first year at NECO. Um, so nothing that has to be completed on, you know, the kind of um, beginning application. Um, there's places to indicate if you're interested in these dual degrees, um, which is helpful to us. We can try to pair you up with a faculty interviewer who, um, you know, kind of might have expertise in one of these areas. Um, but we do have two dual degree programs. Uh, the first is our MSOD program. So that is a master's of vision science being earned simultaneously with the OD. Um, still graduate in four years, no additional time for that one. Um, and students are um, participating in some research and doing a research project while earning that degree as well. Um, again, applied for in the first year. So students who are really interested in research, it's a great dual degree to receive. Um, and then we also have an ODPHD degree that comes with a little bit of additional time. Um, it is a seven year degree. Um, we partner with Boston University for that one. So um, again, students who are really interested in research or even academia, great opportunity for them there. Um, they would complete their first three years at NECO. Uh, they would then go on to Boston University to uh, complete another three years earning their PhD. Um, and then they would have that year of rotations at the end. Um, completing that seven years. Uh, so I would say we maybe get one or two applicants for that one per year. Um, and with the um, ODMS degree, we, you know, see maybe 10 to 12 applicants and we typically have about seven or eight in that program. Um, but both are really great opportunities uh, to receive another degree along with the OD. Awesome. So we talked a lot about curriculum and the didactic training that OD students receive at NECO, but what are some other ways that students can be involved on campus when they're not in class or studying? Sure. Um, I think I mentioned it earlier. Uh, we love to describe NECO as a family. Um, really, you know, our students get so involved with the NECO community, the greater Boston community. Um, we have over 15 clubs and organizations on campus um, that students can you know, really join what fits best for them. Um, we have optometry related clubs and organizations and student interest-based clubs. Um, so in the first year, you know, students can attend a club fair. Students can really join these clubs at any time. Um, they're of course created under the premise of 
you're in a very rigorous four-year program. And unlike undergrad, where you had to attend X number of club meetings per year in order to stay a member, um, that's certainly not the case at NECO. Uh, there's a lot of guest speakers that typically come in. And even virtually, these clubs were very active having you know, Zoom meetings with guest speakers. Um, for example, I know there's the private practice club uh, for students who are interested in going into private practice after graduation. And they'll have ODs come in and tell their story about, you know, um, how they went into private practice and kind of what they're doing now. Um, so students can be as much or as little as involved in these clubs as they like. Um, they can hold a leadership position and be on the executive board. Um, or they could be a general member in as many clubs as they'd like. Um, we also have student council on our campus. So student council is responsible for planning some of the fun activities we have at NECO. Um, every year we have typically, um, of course, again, pre-COVID and hoping to go back to as much normalcy as we can. Uh, but we typically have a welcome back barbecue for our students, um, a NECO Olympics that takes place in the fall. Uh, where the class years compete against each other for a trophy and different sporting events. Um, and every spring, we typically have the eyeball, which is like a prom for optometry students. Uh, so the student council has um, a big part in planning those events while also being the liaisons between our student body and, um, you know, our faculty and really making sure our students' voices are heard. Uh, so plenty of opportunities to get involved at NECO uh, to really, you know, dive into that NECO family that we have. Um, and each year there's more and more clubs popping up. I think this year we had four new ones uh, kind of pop up even virtually. So uh, if there's a club that you don't see that we don't maybe have yet, you can absolutely go through the process of uh, making that a reality. Awesome. So um, we are going to go ahead and this is just kind of wrapping up everything that we talked about for um, academic wise. Um, so students, when they come into NECO, they're super excited and obviously no one ever anticipates to fail. Um, but, you know, it is bound to happen. It could happen to anyone. Um, how do you support your students during that time at NECO? Sure. Um, obviously, it is a big switch between undergrad and this, you know, four-year doctoral program. Uh, study habits change and, you know, the course load is different. Um, and, you know, we get that question a lot, you know, how is it different from undergrad and, you know, what happens if maybe I am not doing so hot right off the bat, what resources are available? Um, so at NECO, we do have our uh, student services kind of department, and we call it CAPA, which is uh, short for Center for Academic Performance and Achievement. Um, so through our CAPA department, we do have, you know, peer tutoring available. Um, if a student is maybe not doing so great in a certain class, um, we do have uh, advising available. So, um, you know, typically the professor would report to advising that, you know, hey, this student is struggling um, and students can meet with an advisor to maybe change their study habits or evaluate why they're not doing so great and, you know, kind of have sessions to um, talk about what they can do differently and how they can change their study habits um, to, you know, better kind of tailor to a certain course. Um, of course, uh, the, the courses are a little more in depth at NECO um, as opposed to undergrad where, um, you might be having some filler courses in undergrad where 
um, in optometry school, you're going to need all of the information you're learning um, for your career in the future. Um, so we absolutely support our students in every way that we can, um, whether it's through tutoring or advising. Um, again, kind of going back to that family aspect of things. Um, our upper year students uh, can become tutors, but they're always willing to kind of, you know, sit down and share what worked best for them, what maybe didn't work. Um, last year, we implemented what we call our first year guide program. So upper year students were able to volunteer uh, to take in a group of incoming first year students. Um, they would meet monthly and kind of you know, just be able to talk about things. And if students were struggling, they could ask advice of our upper year students who would, you know, kind of say what worked for them, chat about their own experience. Um, and each incoming student is also paired with a faculty mentor. Um, so again, just someone to talk to, someone to ask advice. Um, we try to have as many resources as possible available for our students. Um, you know, student success is always number one on our priority list. So um, anything that we can do, we will do. So even if a student uh, finds themselves in a spot where they're not doing so great, um, they can feel comfortable reaching out to any number of members of our community uh, for assistance. Great. So um, because I know we got some questions about that from listeners, so it's definitely not an automatic dismissal if you struggle the first semester or, um, you know, fail a class or anything like that you're there to help them and just get them back on their feet. Um, and that's not the first resort. Definitely. Um, there is a process that students go through and, you know, um, unfortunately dismissal is kind of the last resort of that process, but, you know, some students might be able to, um, you know, start again in a different class year and repeat courses if it gets to that point. Um, but we really do try to offer as many resources as we can. So, students can kind of um, right away when they see they're struggling, kind of address it immediately rather than later down the road. Awesome. Um, so we're going to go back on a more positive note um, and talk about patients and patient population in Boston. Um, so first, before we get into that, do you give um, students just like an estimated number of patients that they uh, would get to see by the end of their program? Yeah, by the end of the fourth year, um, students typically see about 2,000 patients. Um, so they're definitely exposed uh, to a lot at NECO. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, having that decentralized clinic network, um, I think definitely works to our students' benefits. Um, that network includes everything from community health centers to private practices, to VAs, to hospitals. So students are really, you know, not only experiencing different patient demographics, but different kind of um, locations and settings where they can see patients as well. Um, a lot of our community health centers in the Boston area are, of course, neighborhood based. So instead of patients coming to us, we're really going out to the homes and neighborhoods of those particular patients. Um, so there might be instances where, you know, students are getting experience in using translators. Um, that happens a lot at our community health centers. Um, and, you know, they're really seeing everything from young children at some locations to older patients uh, with, you know, maybe more disease who this might be their first time seeing an optometrist. Um, so it's a very, very diverse patient population. Um, and with that, students are 
getting experience in that patient care, but also with different equipment and different EHR systems. So we're really uh, setting them up for any clinical setting post-graduation. Awesome. So we are um, coming up on our last program related question here. And this one is just kind of wrapping it all up. So students, after they go through um, the didactic curriculum at NECO, um, they're getting ready to take um, their national boards. Um, so do you um, have a specific course that you supply students to prepare for national boards? Or how do you um, prepare them for that? Sure. I think a lot of times uh, coming in, you know, you can ask a first or second year student and they'll be like, I'm not ready to talk about boards yet. Um, but students do take that first part of the boards in their uh, second semester of their third year. Um, so kind of from the beginning, you know, from first year, what our faculty will do, um, they'll try to formulate their exams and maybe quizzes if that particular class um, entails that. They'll try to ask the questions in a similar way that they will be asked on boards um, to just kind of uh, kind of mentally prepare students for what is to come. It might not be, you know, labeled as boards review right away, but um, you know, kind of setting students up to recognize that format to be able to feel comfortable answering questions in that format. Um, and then as time goes on in the beginning of the third year, we do have an outside company that comes in uh, that can help students prepare for boards. Um, typically, they will have sessions on weekends where students will attend and really do in-depth boards review. Um, so it's something that is present from day one, um, though it might not exactly be labeled as that. Uh, and then students, you know, will kind of ramp that up as boards do uh, kind of come more into focus in the third year. Awesome. So we are getting ready to answer some listener questions. Um, so these questions are just going to bring us back to application related questions. So the first question that we got was, do you accept repeated courses? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I know that OptumCast has kind of fluctuated in the past with how they handle repeated courses. Um, but I believe, you know, coming up in this cycle, students who repeat a course at the same institution that they took the original course, um, OptumCast will kind of switch out that grade and take the higher of the two. Um, if a student does repeat the course at um, a different institution or a community college, um, as far as we're concerned, we do look for upward trajectory. Um, so we do accept that course at NECO, um, especially if it's a prerequisite course. Um, you can match the higher of the two grades to that prerequisite when going through the application. Um, as far as how it's factored into GPA, um, that again all depends on where the course is taken how OptumCast calculates that. Um, but as far as we're concerned at NECO, um, you know, we do look for improvement over time. So if a course is repeated, um, we will recognize that. Awesome. So do you take the um, OptumCast GPA into account or do you calculate your own? We do take the OptumCast GPA um, into account, but we'll really kind of sit down and look at all of those different areas that it's broken into. Um, so we won't just kind of look at the overarching picture. We'll take the time to really go through and take that holistic approach. Awesome. So our next question here asks, do you accept grades below a C letter grade on prerequisites? Yeah, so our cutoff is, you know, grades of a C or above on prerequisites. Um, in some cases where a grade might be slightly below a C, um, on a case-by-case -case basis, we'll take a look at that. Um, typically, we do have that cutoff, you know, grade of a C or above. 
Um, but for instance, if it's slightly below that, and then the corresponding section of the OAT, um, I always like to pick on physics. That's always my example. Um, if a student scores above a 300 in that section on the OAT, and they maybe received a C minus um, in a physics course, we'll take that into consideration. And that can sometimes help to um, outweigh the lower grade. Uh, that is all on a case-by-case -case basis. Um, and generally, we are looking for grades above a C on those prereqs. Great. All righty. So our next question is, where are the most popular externship sites? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I know we were going to kind of loop back to these externships. Um, the fourth year is a really exciting time for our students. Um, they're able to preference the sites uh, in the third year, so they get a list of all of the different sites that are available. Um, at NECO, we have sites all over Boston, all over the Massachusetts area, um, as well as all over the country. Um, we even have two in Canada and one in China, so students can kind of travel as much or as little as they'd like. Um, I definitely would say uh, Miami is a very popular one that I've heard from our students. Um, we do have sites in Alaska, Hawaii. I know those are always really interesting ones. And if that's something that a student uh, really is interested in, they'll definitely preference that. Um, and a lot of students like to do at least one rotation um, if we have a site area that is close to um, where they call home. Uh, that's always, you know, a really popular option for them um, so that, you know, they can maybe spend three months living at or close to where they call home. Um, and then uh, all students do complete one rotation at a community health center. So oftentimes that does take place in Boston since we have such a great relationship with the community health centers around us. Um, but there are different categories and students do have to complete rotations uh, that fall under those. So we provide them with a big list and, you know, what opportunities there are. There's lots of details that come along with that. So they're really informed by the time they preference those. Um, that process is amazing. And our clinical ed department that kind of goes through and does that. Um, I don't know how they do it. It's truly amazing. But students do typically end up with either their first or second choice for one of their rotations. Um, and yeah, as far as those popular ones, I would definitely say the warmer areas. Uh, for sure, as students do get to experience winter in Boston. So for that first uh, or maybe second rotation when it's snowy in Boston, they'll try to escape to somewhere a little bit more tropical. <laughs> and as it stands right now, do you know how many externship sites um, students get to choose from at NECO? Yeah, I don't know exactly, but there is a very large number. Um, I wanna say at least 40 to 50. Um, and again, those span um, the state of Massachusetts, the country, and even a few outside. Awesome. So we are coming up on our very last question, and this one is just kind of a fun one, um, not necessarily related to the program, but it's more about the city of Boston. So this question asks, what is the city life like in Boston for students? That is a great last question. Um, Boston is an amazing city. Um, I've had the pleasure of living there for the past uh, just over three years now. Um, and, you know, not being from there, I kind of went through that uh, process of adjusting to the city and exploring. Um, so I think that uh, one of the most wonderful things about Boston is definitely the history. Um, there's so much to see. I mean, museums, you could spend all day learning about the history in Boston. 
Um, but there's no shortage of things to do. There's always something going on. Um, I think it's great that our students, you know, get to explore the city a little bit when they um, go to their um, sites, their clinical sites starting in the second year. Um, we have different areas of the city, different neighborhoods have different things to offer. Um, Boston looks like a big city at first glance, but honestly, once you kind of get the lay of the land, you realize how small it really is. Uh, so one of the best things about Boston is that it's super walkable. So you can be exploring one neighborhood and then find yourself walking to another one um, in just a couple minutes and be able to explore that as well. Um, so for students, you know, there's definitely a lot of restaurants in the city. If you are a foodie, Boston is definitely the city for you. Um, lots of coffee shops and, you know, really great places to just kind of explore, try out. Um, we are located, our campus is located right on the Charles River, uh, which separates Boston from Cambridge. Um, so students can um, either try kayaking or sailing when it's warm out. Um, there's a park that runs the entirety of the Charles River called the Esplanade. So students can either, you know, go to that park to study or just kind of relax a little bit. Um, students who like to run or bike, it's a great place for them. Um, everything too that is exciting around Boston is accessible by the public transportation in the city, uh, which is pretty easy to use after, again, you get kind of the gist of it. Um, so students can travel to the north end of Boston, which is like a little Italy area. Again, great food. Um, there's the seaport district, which is right on the water, and there's uh, lots of you know, sites to see there and fun places to check out. Um, so really, uh, in conclusion, Boston is a bustling city, no shortage of fun activities to do. Um, even though we do experience winter in Boston, uh, we always say that, you know, our students who are from New England or from the North will help our students uh, from out West or the South to buy their first winter coat, prepare them. Um, but there's even fun things to do like ice skating, um, and, you know, kind of trolley rides in the snow uh, in the winter as well. So it's, it's a colder time, but still plenty of activities. And uh, this is just a question that I just thought of. Um, so you just said that um, a lot of the students are from at West or South. Um, is that like true for a lot of the students or um, do you get a lot of in-state as well? Absolutely. Um, we really do have students from all over. Um, you know, we get students from New England, uh, but some of our other larger states that we see students coming from are Florida, California, um, South Carolina. 25% uh, of our students come from Canada, actually. So we do have um, a really high Canadian population, which we love. Um, but as far as in-state goes, we maybe see about 10 to 15%. Um, but we really do have students from all over internationally as well. Awesome. Well, Emily, this is such a pleasure. Thank you again for being our guest today and sharing a lot about NECO. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And I'm so glad that uh, we got to share more about NECO. So that is all for this week's episode. I hope you found it helpful and it answered some of the questions you had about NECO. Um, to keep up with the podcast, make sure to follow it on Instagram at keepin.it.od to stay tuned when episodes go live. Also, interact with posts and stories. I want to know what you want to see on the podcast. Um, tell me what other schools you'd like to see and what topics you'd like me to discuss. Um, lastly, if you or someone you know would like to collaborate, make sure to email me at keepinitodpodcast, all one word, 
at hotmail.com and include collaboration in the subject line. Um, and we'll see you right back here next week with a Q&A episode with Berkeley. And as always, we'll be keeping it OD. Thank you guys.